it's 1994 and the musical landscape is at a crossroads. The alternative Big Bang in 1991 has started to expand the universe at a greater rate of speed. Liquid magma is becoming hard crust. Anything resembling rock and roll is being labeled alternative. So much so that the word has become benign and milk toast. For every band out there that is pushing sonic boundaries, there are 15 other bands that are, I don't know, just putting out music. It's a real interesting time. The number one song is as as perfect a number one song as I can think of to describe, you know, what was going on. And the song was All for One by Rod Stewart, Sting, and Brian Adams. Three performers that have a certain pedigree, but have now combined their forces to become a Voltron of suck. Me, I was wandering around my high school taking a second stab at my senior year. <laughs> yeah, I went back for another go-round. So I was taking drama and typing and doing all sorts of, um, you know, uh, performance and, and things like that just to try and get by and make sense of things. But we're here to talk about pavement. What was going on with pavement? Well, they had come out of the chrysalis that was Watery Domestic, a new and different band. Gone was Gary Young. In his place, Bob Nastanovich's childhood friend, Steve West. Along with Westy, Mark Eibold joined the fold. No longer just a touring component. This was a band now. This was a band that had a rhythm section. It had an enhanced rhythm section with Bob. If you think about it that way. But nevertheless, everything that was going on with this band was new and different. Change was in the air. So as you unwrap the cellophane from your CD and put Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain into your player on February 2nd, 1994, all the questions you had about this band and the changes that they had been going through were about to be answered in a big, big way. Welcome to Meeting Malcolmus, a pavement podcast. I wanna set it's my second hand Hey, it's JD here, back for another week of being uncool and underqualified. Yet I somehow got the keys to this fucking car and I'm gonna drive you places that you never could have imagined that we would go. We are sitting behind the wheel of a brand new record and it smells wonderful. Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain joined the world February 2nd, 1994. Although it took me six years later to find the record myself, it was a game changer for me in the way that I understood pavement. 
And I can't wait to desegment this record track by track with you and get to the bottom of what exactly was going on with the band at this time and listen to some just really great music. So there's that. Before we get into the music, however, we typically talk to our friend Bobby from Atlanta to uncover some factoids, nuggets, gems about the album artwork. And uh, I think we should do that now before we get too deep into things. So let me pick up the horn here and uh, give Bobby a call. Bobby. Yes. How's it going? It's JD. Good. I thought that was you. <laughs> yeah, I just I'm tried you. Well. Oh, excellent. This is good to hear. How uh How are you? I am um uh, pretty good. I can't can't complain. I just got my flu shot and uh I'm feeling invincible. So we're talking crooked rain, crooked rain. We made it. We, we got through Slanted, and here we are. I'm looking at something that looks pretty mysterious to me. You know, noodling about in a record shop, it would be enticing to me. It would, you know, it, it looks like something cool. That's, that's my base analysis. I'm wondering, you know, what you've gleaned and what you've learned. I started Googling uh, cover art, comma, crooked rain, crooked rain all sorts of different variations just trying to see if i could find something to start a starting point and so i found through through google i found there's some credits in the back and it says original album artwork by fm okay we can probably imagine that might be stephen malcolmus i think you're right and then reissue art direction by mark o And, um, so I Google Mark O comma Matador and I get Mark O's personal, um, sort of art direction, graphic design website where he puts all of his work. And so there's a contact page there. So I type out an email. There's actually an email address. So I email Mark O. And I get an email back like 15 you minutes. You fucking after sleuth. I love this. I'm sleuthing. So 15 minutes, maybe, maybe an hour after I email Mark O. Mark O emails me right back. And he says, Hey, Bobby, it's great to hear from you. I'd love to talk about the album artwork for Crooked Rain. And whatever I can do for your podcast, you let me know. Which is just, you know, what, what are the odds that somebody's that that generous with their with their time and their information? And um, so anyway, I set up a phone call with the one Mark O. And turns out he's in Venice, Italy, right now with his family on vacation, and they're cooking dinner at their rented abode in Venice. And he's talking to me about remastered Crooked Rain artwork while on vacation in Italy. What um, a guy. Which is just 
Yeah, and I can't express how grateful I am for his receptivity, but also just he had a genuine, I think he was genuinely excited and and wanting to share information. Um, he he would not attempt to wrap up the phone call um, as people tend to do when they're busy. He uh, he waited and waited for me to prompt him that I'd used up his valuable vacation time um, before he agreed to end the phone call. So we talked we talked for thirty minutes probably. Um, and what I've gleaned from that was a couple of things. The most, the most amazing thing that I've learned from that phone call is that just a, a glimpse into the process. Um, so Stephen met with the Matador Records owners and went to dinner with them one night. This is prior to Slanted. And he had, lo and behold, Stephen had the original artwork of the vinyl keyboard capers in his hand at dinner and, and handed the physical copy to them. And, um, and they said, you know, this, this is your vision and the music is amazing and we want to honor it. So they took the album from him after dinner and went back to the office and handed it to this Mark O character who was at that time he was working for Matador. He was the fourth person in the, in the building, I think. Wow. Two owners. I may be off by one or two, but there were two owners, co-owners of Matador and somebody else, I would assume secretarial something. And then Mark, and Mark was the art director for whatever the cat drug in. He he dealt with it. So these guys came back from dinner, and they handed Mark this this artwork for Slanted and said, "Here you go. This is what Stephen uh, wants to use." And Mark basically said, "Well, if that's what he wants to use, then that's what we're using because he's you know." And Mark Mark kind of alluded to the fact that Stephen, they know each other, you know, they've spoken on the phone. I would have presumed they've met. And, um, Mark kind of alluded to the fact that Stephen has a, he had a very clear vision and a good eye. And he kind of, he had a, he has an intention about what he's doing when, even when it comes to, you know, kind of a three-dimensional vision of this thing. The music is done, it's been recorded, but he's also got, you know, the whole package figured out. He knows what he wants, and he and he has a vision for how it's going to come together. So I think this a similar story with Crooked Rain, where there was an album artwork drawn and pasted together uh, with glue and marker, and this was done, so Crooked Rain's album artwork actually originated in London or somewhere in England. Um, 
there's a fellow named Abbo who is the owner of Big Cat Records. Okay. In 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 Europe, and so Abbo had the original artwork in his possession um, of Crooked Rain, and Mark, um, the art director at Matador, never got to see the actual um, physical artwork because this guy Abbo seems kind of a, like an elusive character. He had, uh, back in the day, they would shoot with a camera, literally, they would shoot a picture of artwork. So if you drew a painting, um, you know, on a napkin or, or whatever, they could put it, they could light it and set it up on the wall, basically, and snap a photo of it. And then they could create film out of that, which is a print, kind of a printing process um so they create four different colors of film and then that is generated onto the press and the printing is done from that film so matador had um when the album was due to be released they had film of the artwork and that was uh that was taken in some way or another from big cat records i guess Maybe they had was there may have been a pre, prior release in Europe or something. I don't. I'm not exactly sure how that worked. Um. So anyway, Mark. Uh, Mark has never seen the original artwork <laughs> for Crooked Rain, but he. Uh, but he's seen the film, and they actually go in, and they will. And when the reissue happens, they will go in and block out on the film they'll go and tape parts out such as the you know the release date or record company i think they they actually blocked out or taped out the big cat records logo when they when they um ended up releasing it through matador um where am i at this point let's see do you have any questions so far? No, I'm just sitting here like, I'm just sitting here grinning. This is great. I'm throwing a lot at you, <laughs> and I hope it's not too uh, cumbersome or too... No, stop. Too much information. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the, the first thing, after Mark agreed to talk to me on the phone, he emailed me a little uh, JPEG image, and he said... JPEG of possible interest, <laughs> which is like it's very much like a sleuthy uh, kind of like murder mystery <laughs> sort of thing. So, so he emailed me this JPEG, and it's the it's the cover, it's the central image with two ladies, or maybe it's I guess it's one lady putting her hands in opposite directions over what appears to be a horse race or a dog race. Uh, card like a race card yeah your, your bet yeah where you would place your bets that's right and so he sends me this image and it's torn out of national geographic magazine oh wow and yeah so yeah very similar thread to crooked Ra or to uh slanted where he kind of pirated something and obviously kind of um overlaid these black and white zigzags around the image. 
Um, but it says, and then Stephen writes below them, she writes, luck on every finger. So that came directly. I'm going to pull up this JPEG so I can see it. I'll read you. Um, it says, before the bugle calls at Hot Springs Oak Lawn Jockey Club, high-strung thorough, thoroughbred gas gas takes a reassuring nibble of his calm companion, Herman. Um, and that's actually, that's referring to an image of a horse. Um, I guess that would be on that same page. And then, so the key, uh, the caption to this image with the, the turquoise jewelry says, let's see, lucky pieces abound at the track. One visitor from New Mexico believes in wearing luck on every finger. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. And so Stephen... Uh, and that's in Malcolm's hand writing. He rewrote the caption to the photo in his own handwriting to kind of, you know, give it a, give it a little reference. That's great. So I thought that was fascinating. Um, and yeah, he's kind of like... I don't know what the term is, but he's he's kind of just writing um he's writing things as they cross his mind, it seems, all the time. Um, which is great it's a great way to to generate copy or song lyrics. Just you know, whatever's going on in your life, if you're reading a literally you're reading a National Geographic magazine and he just I guess that it's a it's a alluring photo with the it's a metallic uh, fingernail polish. It's just a very weird photo. Um, you got to keep that notebook open, kids. You never know yeah. when you never know when you're going to stumble upon the next great idea. Keep the ideas flowing. That's right. Um, it also says on here. So my take is that he and. Mark and I pondered this together as we were talking on the sound across the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, I, I asked Mark, I said, you know what? I wonder if the photo is 100% scale. So if that photo was taken out of National Geographic, I wonder if it's actually five inches tall or whatever in reference to the size of the vinyl album cover. And then I started talking about, well, I wonder if this is like the Beatles white album background that has been mutilated, just like keyboard capers. I mean, it could, didn't have to be the Beatles white album. It could be uh, Fleetwood Mac. Um, I think the self-titled Fleetwood Mac is all white. You know, any white vinyl right. cover. And then just start, you know, gluing things on top of it and tasting scraps and I, I think that that might Mark doesn't know because he's never seen the real artwork but I think that might be the way that these things were done and he said that that made sense to him because the scale you know the dimensions of an album are not square um, they're slightly wider you know the, the jacket at least slightly wider than it is tall so did not know that. I was assumed they, it was a square. Yeah. Well, you kind of you just just glance at uh, even a CD jacket or yeah. Um, so anyway, um, 
I think we've sleuthed our way to the concept that he is reading magazines in his spare time and cutting pictures out and gluing them on things and coming up with artwork. You know, maybe he didn't even intend for this to be, I don't know if he intended it to be the cover when he was doing it. You know, or maybe he had three or four versions and was just fooling around with them. Um, but Mark also suggested um, when they did the reissue, he said uh, he made a point of saying that they did nothing from scratch um, on this reissue, that it was all straight out of a shoebox that was sent with scraps. Oh, man. Um, and that Scott Camberg was an excellent archivist. Uh, yeah, he kept a lot of stuff, and he was a great reference, as was Stephen. But um, it's funny, he kind of said that, uh, you know, he he had intended this cover to be the Crooked Rain cover, and same for, um, same for Slanted. But when it came to the LP labels, like the sticker that goes on the actual vinyl, right? Uh, Mark, Mark said... He quoted Stephen and said that Stephen just said, "Just do whatever." <laughs> really? Like, like he just didn't care. He had done like he felt. I, don't, I wouldn't say he didn't care, but there was a level of trust there. Well, that yeah. That Mark had trusted Stephen's vision by verbatim duplicating exactly what he gave and making that the album cover, and so I think they kind of built a level of trust to where Steven said, you know, you, you just take care of it. You know, that aspect of it is, is cool. Like the trust aspect of it is cool, but it, it it does seem sort of out of character as well for somebody that is, you know, got the vision and the, and the angle, you know, so knocked out um, to be hands off in, in, you know, part of the aesthetic. That's that's fascinating serious, to me. Yeah, I wrote I wrote on this sheet of paper where I was kind of taking notes that um, you know there's always this there's always this tug of war between lots of effort involved in things, and then on the other hand, having it just seem like kind of off the cuff and aloof. You know, well, like the recording process is just yeah. We'll do one or one take, and then just put it on the album. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, yes, agreed. It's it, it's designed haphazardness, you know, sort of to a degree, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah, exactly. Like we know that this stuff has stood the test of time, and it really works. And um, it's so you know, it's so funny when you hear how sort of aloof they were. Uh, around yeah. the material, you know, around the conceit of things. Yeah, very cool. But, you know, on the flip side, the, the thing that I'm trying to reckon in my mind is, on the flip side, you know, he probably spent, I don't know, at least two hours with glue and scissors and yeah. <laughs> meticulous, meticulously, you know, messing around with this stuff. And then well, he kind of was like, yeah, it's not perfect, but it's great. We like it. Let's do it. <laughs> well, 
Well, that's the that's the question, right? The word meticulous. That's the uh, that's the question. How meticulous um, are or were they? You know, a band that made um, uh, "It's Good Enough" one of their mantras. You know, uh, "It's Good Enough." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or it's like it, the effort is always there. Like there's always a strong effort. Yeah. But um, there's never polish. You know, there's yeah. some sort of balance there where we're going to do the best we can, the absolute best we can, but we're not going to question it. And we're not going to hem and haul over, you know, maybe we should, maybe we should go. Even like on perfect example, the, 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 the first track, Silence Kid, was is now known as Silence Kit. That's right. Because there was there was a smear of ink on the artwork. And that I did was, not know that. People, that was that was fixable. It was a it was like pen ink or paint or something that had been accidentally smudged as it was being That's written. So great. <laughs> so it's not the name of the song is Silence Kid. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I've got the project file open right now, and I typed Silent Kid, um, episode 40, Silent Kid. Uh, and then I made a note to myself to go back and change it to Silent Kid. Um, maybe I'll keep it Silent Kid just, uh, just to be defiant. But the funny thing, too, is that they once it became known to the public as Silent Kid with a T, they just said, ah, screw it. We'll just call it Silent Kid. Yeah. <laughs> so now the reissue, the reissue says Silence Kit. Right. It's not even the right name. <laughs> and they're, they're fine with it. You know, they're like, that's what we're, you know, people know it is Silence Kit, so we'll just change the name. Jeez. It's just such a, it's such a weird, magical thing, you know? So you got a kick out of doing this. I did, you know, and ironically, when I, I bought the on eBay. I bought the album again for the third time, and I just stared at it. And I was thinking, this is going to be a dud. You know, it's just there's not a whole lot to talk about other than there's a picture of some hands with rings on them and some scribble. You know, so I was a little worried, a little concerned. And then I found my friend Mark, and things just you know. Well, now you have a hookup. Different turn. When we talk wowie zowie. Mark knows everything. Thanks so much, Bobby. Well, you're so welcome. I hope that was informative for all of our listeners. I think I think they're going to love it. Yeah. We'll look forward to the next time. All right, brother. All right, man. Have a great uh, rest of the week. You too. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye. So that was my conversation with Bobby from Atlanta the Meeting Malcolmist album artwork guru with a connection. Ooh la la. Interesting. So when we meet with him next, we'll be talking Wowie Zowie, and maybe he'll have some more information from his friend Mark, or perhaps he'll have another new connection. So there's that. I can tell you that... Uh, Bobby brought up in the conversation the whole silent kid, silent kit issue. And 
you know, to me, the, the, the lyrics of the song, um, suggest that it is silent kid. Uh, and Bobby made mention to the fact that the, you know, the original artwork had silent kid on it, but they spilled some ink or spilled some paint and changed it to silent kit. But again, the lyrics, uh, the lyrics very, very much silent. The first two words of the song are silent kid. No one to remind you. You've got no hip, no reels to remind you silent kid. Don't take your pawn shop home on the road. God damn you. Silent kid. Don't lose your graceful tone, man. I'm already just in love with this song and I've only read the first verse. Uh, this is the city life. This is the city life. Oh, come on. Let's talk about leaving. Come on now. Let's talk about your family. Your sister's cursed. Your father's all but damned you. Silent kid. Don't listen to your grandmother's advice about Ezra. Silent kid. Don't listen to them. Hand me the drum stick snare kick blues call upon. I knew myself into the spotlight. Ecstasy feels so warm inside. Until five hours later, I'm chewing, screwing myself with my hand. And that's, that's, <laughs> that's lyrically what we're dealing with here. Uh, we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit in a second, but let's talk about musically. Let's talk about the fact that this is a, a larger band now. They've got Bob in the studio. They've got Mark in the studio. They've got Steve West having worked out a lot of these songs with SM prior to going to, um, gosh, what's the studio called? Lovely falls or something like that. Uh, it's in New York, New York state. Let me consult my book. It was in random falls. How do you like those apples? Random falls doesn't get much more random than that. So yeah, Random Falls, New York was the studio where they congregated in um, the middle of 1993 to start laying down what would become Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. And right off the, right off the top, you've got this really fucking um, uh, gnarly introduction that leaves you sort of scratching your head. It's very different. It's very noodly and jammy. And unlike a pavement that we've heard thus far, uh, are they trying to get into tune? Are they trying to get into sync? I don't know. Um, but that's what it feels like to me. It feels like they're trying, um, you know, metaphorically, I suppose, to take this uh, larger unit and and get it into sync get it into origin and you even hear them say at one point you know um help us scott which is different because up until this point he's been spiral stairs and them referring to him by name scott is different as well so like i mentioned off the top of this podcast there this is a different band there's a different vibe going on there is a real um rhythm they take advantage of the rhythm section there's a real rhythm in this song i mean there's fucking woodblock for god's sake it's uh or or cowbell if you will um you know it's it's got a 
groove that makes you move your hips and and then when that vocal melody kicks in it's an earworm it, it's absolutely wonderful and it's designed to sound as though it's you know off key but it sits in that sweet spot that it's certainly not off key it's steven stretching his voice and moving it to a place that is a little bit uncomfortable if you want you know your music auto-tuned and and perfect sounding or whatever i don't know but um this is nuanced and this is uh just really quite wonderful now as far as the lyrics go uh i think again we're dealing with um a band here uh, a lyricist in Stephen Malcolmus that is trying to express a feeling of isolation in his surroundings. In this case, you know, thinking back to when he was in Stockton and trying to get out of Stockton. You know, he talks about um, your father's, you, you know, you, you want to join a rock band, like your, your sister's curse and your father's damning you and your grandmother's trying to talk about Ezra and like, what, what, what the hell is this? I don't know, but, um, I'm going to be in a rock band. I'm going to be practicing my music and I'm going to kick ass and I'm going to get out of this town. But in reality, five hours later, I'm going to be, you know, jerking off in my bed, um, dreaming of fame and fortune. I don't know. That's what I think. That's what I got. So let's just listen to the song. There's been this has been a talk heavy episode, uh, but we need to listen to this this goddamn song. So let's give her and uh, whirl away with Silent Kit on Meeting Malcolmus, a pavement podcast. <laughs>
Meeting Malcolmus, a pavement podcast, is a weekly affair. You can find the show anywhere that you find podcasts, just like you did today. So be a dear and rate and review the show. If you want to connect, email me at jd at meetingmalchemist.com. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Check it out. I'm so social.